Your business is an asset that can support a thriving life. I believe this, and I am committed to making this a reality for every entrepreneur and business owner who listens to this podcast. The Women Driving in Business podcast was created with you in mind. Whether you are thinking about entrepreneurship or you're a business veteran, this podcast has inspiration, information, and advice you can use to thrive in business. Women Thriving in Business features candid, unscripted conversations with entrepreneurs, business experts, authors, and academics who will contribute to your business success. I seek out and talk with business leaders who have built, grown, and thrived in business. My name is Nikki Rogers, transformation coach, author, and the host of Women Thriving in Business podcast. I work with women entrepreneurs to develop the mindset, strategies, and connections necessary to thrive in business. Join me and your fellow thrivers each week on this journey of discovery and success. Welcome, Thrivers, to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest this week is Michelle S. Thomas, your relationship surgeon, who is a seven times international best-selling author, a certified life relationship and business coach, motivational speaker, and the owner of multiple businesses. Michelle serves individuals and businesses by precisely pinpointing what is infecting their ability to achieve peace, prosperity, and profitability while placing them on a permanent path of success. Michelle and I had a wide range of conversation where we talked about how it's important to have a connection to the business that you are building so that you can not only be yourself in business, but actually blaze a trail for yourself. You don't have to follow the template that anyone else has laid out. And when you have that connection to your business, you're able to achieve much more success, much more ease in the business that you're building. We also discuss how couples can successfully balance their business and personal lives when they're in business together and how it's so important for you to transition from that mindset of an employee to that of a business owner if you want to build a successful business. Lastly, we talked about Michelle's brand new book, The Eight Qualities of the Exceptional Black Woman in Business and Entrepreneurship and her upcoming Exceptional Woman Tour. Michelle kept me laughing, and not only will she entertain you, but she will educate you on some of the key and vital steps that you should take as you grow as an entrepreneur. I know you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Let's go. Welcome, Thrivers, to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. My guest today is Michelle S. Thomas, your relationship surgeon and founder of the Exceptional Woman Tour. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, this is exciting. I love talking business, man. And so that even with the Exceptional Woman Tour, we are focusing on getting women the information that they need to know. And sometimes we don't know that we need to know it, but I love this whole platform of where we talk about not just the emotional part of the business, but get down to the grassroots of how we're going to make some money, ladies. Come on now. I love it. So Michelle, let's just get right into it. So tell us about your business or your businesses and what got you started on your entrepreneurial journey? So I have seven entities that fall up under me. We have a corporate office, which is a parent company, and it is a holding company where we buy 
smaller businesses that sometimes we retain, sometimes we coach them into a better situation, and sometimes we turn them around and sell them. So that's our parent company. We have a hospitality side. We have a design company with actual patents that we design products for other businesses. We have a publishing company and we have a catering company. And then there's Michelle S. Thomas, the entity herself, which is the speaker and the author. And I just put out our, today, today is our launch, the eight qualities of the exceptional Black woman in business and entrepreneurship. So today is our launch date. Anybody that is looking to purchase that, you can find it on Amazon or you can go to the exceptionalblackwoman.com. You can go and purchase that and it has a journal to go along with it. And then I have your relationship surgeon which is the certified coach of life, relationship, and business coach. I think sometimes people tend to relate the word relationship only with personal, but you have a relationship in all aspects, your personal life and your professional life. And so what my job is to come in and precisely pinpoint what is infecting that business or that relationship or yourself from achieving the success that you know that you should have. And then there's a hair company. See, I was trying to figure out where we're at. But I don't consider myself in an entrepreneurial journey just because a lot that I do is just manifestations of businesses that we have done for years. My husband and I met about a little over 21 years ago, two perfect strangers. But the one thing that we had in common was we could be on the phone talking to each other. And it wasn't just surface talk. It was always about the understanding of the power of our knowledge and our expertise and how we were lending it or renting it to other people to make them wealthy while we still struggled. And so we didn't understand the concept of it. Our parent company is titled Success, S-I-X, C-E-S-S Industries Incorporated, named after our six kids. And so I have a lot of people that ask me, why do you have so many businesses? I really think it's because we had a whole bunch of kids and I don't really know how to do one thing. All of our kids was in different things. So success was birth. And we try to make sure that all of our strengths and our assets of each member of the company, we find industries that maximize that strength. And that's where our success comes from. I love that. So Michelle, talk to us about where you got started. So what was your first business? Because I love this idea of matching your strengths with an industry. So what was the first thing that got you started? Or what was the first business you had? And at what point did you say, okay, I know enough, I feel courageous enough to take on another business? And then what came after that? So just about like everything in my life, I usually go into it kicking and spring. <laughs> a lot of people have these Cinderella stories. Michelle Thomas has always been that one that's like, no. So back in 2015, my middle son came to me and he was just like the energy. He was like, ma, I know what business we're about to start. And I was like, okay. He said, we're going to start a hair company. I said, hair, hair? like wigs and weaves. And he was like, yup, yup, yup. All my girlfriends, I got them lined up. We're going to get them some hair. I mean, he was in it. He was ready for it. Because of his energy, he kind of sold me on it. But we came up with the name of it. And I did my research because again, I approach things from a business standpoint. So I did my research on just hair and the hair business. And I went to work. I still had a job. He was at home and he was selling. I would come home. Nikki, and there would be orders for stuff that I didn't even know what it was. And son, where did you find this? He was like, it was on Google. So a lady asked me, did we have it? And I said, yes. So he actually threw me into distribution and sourcing. He, he taught me how wow. to dig in and find the stuff that he had already sold. He literally had taken a payment for it. He sold it. And so that's where my first understanding of running your own business, my clarity. I always shied away from it because I thought that there was some magic pill that you had to have to be able to run your own business. 
what I realized is I went back to those two young people that used to talk on the phone about how we were renting our stuff. And I just found her. Mm. I do this every day. I order stuff for my business, my company every day. I build up branding and marketing for my company every day. It's just now out of my wallet. And so we launched the hair company. We had our products. We had all the services. And he was the best salesperson ever. And then what happened was in January 15, 2017, he was taken away from us by a car accident. Mm. And so it was like this gut punch. Because here's my thing. I finally figured it out. I got it. We're going good. I'm all excited. And then he was gone. And so I paused everything so that I maternally get myself together. And in January of 2019, God said, get up. And I was like, okay. So I literally was sitting with my supervisors. We used to sit and we ordered marketing pieces for the hair company. I changed the logo. But again, I wasn't bought in. I didn't feel it. I wasn't bought in. And so we went to trade shows. We went to events. We traveled halfway around the world, me and my girls out there selling the hair. But what I realized was now that I was the salesperson, I couldn't do it like him. Mm-hmm. So I had to revamp the hair company too, because I don't wear extensions and I don't wear wigs. And so I couldn't sell something that I couldn't understand or I couldn't really sell you on because I haven't used it. I kept the name. I changed the concept to healthy hair. And so now my hair company services any hair texture, any hair type, and any protective style. We can still sell you the hair extensions and the wigs, but our main thing is to teach you how to make your foundation strong enough to do whatever you want to do with it. And that's what set me apart from other hair companies. Thus, where I learned lesson number two, where my success may not come from following a template of someone else. Even within my own son, he was bought in and he drove the numbers of that company skyrocketed them because of his personality. But in order for me to maintain it, I had to find a piece of Michelle and input it in there in order for me to find newfound success. And so I caution a lot of entrepreneurs that Google or listen to other people about Here's the top 10 businesses that you need to jump in in order for you to make a whole bunch of money. If that's not a part of who you are, you can't match or duplicate that person's success because you're out of your wheelhouse. Once I got lesson number two of how key it was for me to have that mm, that connection with whatever that business is, no exaggeration. Prior to 2015, I spent maybe 15 years getting headaches trying to figure out a business for me to run. I couldn't get it. I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. When I got phase two of understanding of how to just build the business around me and not me around the business, literally the rest of the entities knocked on my door. Mm. They just opened up themselves and the avenues created themselves without me even trying to build it. And that's when you know that you are in your stride where companies and businesses and opportunities come to you without you seeking it. So what was the second entity that you created? Was the book, Becoming an Author. Out of all of my titles, I never thought that I was going to be an author. But during my grieving time, I didn't want to read or write anything about grief. Didn't want to do that. What I wanted to do was just take my mind off of that. So I wrote about what I knew and I wrote unspoken, real talk of today's blended family. I just wrote it not for publication. I wrote it because it gave me a chance to write in scenarios and stories. And so I got myself caught up in the stories. I literally would come down from writing and come and grab my husband and be like, you wouldn't believe what he did today. He is terrible. I don't even like him today. And he'd be like, isn't this your own character? But that's when, again, I was like, oh, wow. I was literally getting caught up in my own scenario and feeling it from a reader's standpoint, even though I was writing. And so that's when I learned that I enjoyed writing. And a friend of mine read an excerpt from it and convinced me to publish it. And again, I was like, okay, so I'm just going to put this out there. My mom and them 
and my aunt and at least two cousins. I know at least two cousins ride or die who are going to buy the book. And then my family, there's, there's 10 off the gate. So that's at least 10 copies sold. So I'm good. And it went international. Wow. And I began to receive emails and messages on Instagram. Uh, I had one lady to send me a message and she said, I've hated my ex-husband for 11 years until I read your book. I began to understand from the other side because that's what unspoken does. It gives you the first chapter. I sensationalize it. You get caught up in it. You ready to kill that next character. You just know that it's all. And then we do a couples activity where you just memorialize those feelings. You capture what you're feeling right at that moment. And you say, yes, he's cheating. No, she's terrible. Yes, this needs to end. And then I give you the other side. We take the same scene, but I give you what that other person is going through. And it teaches you that whole saying in a relationship, if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it still doesn't mean it's the duck in a relationship. It could <laughs> be. It goes back to those three sides. is your side, their side, and the truth, right? Absolutely. You often can't see the truth because of the emotions involved in it. And so. You, your truth. Your truth. Not the truth. That's the thing in the relationship. That's the thing. We have that old school concept. So our principles of relationships were built back in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. That's what our picture of the ideal family was. Mom, dad, 2.5 kids, a dog, white picket fence. That's what we grew up and listened to in school. But unfortunately, books and education and schools haven't caught up to the reality of families now. There are right. kids that live with grandparents. There are kids that are products of divorce. There are kids that are blended families. And when you enter into a blended family circumstance, sometimes it's not the couple that's the problem. It's all of the outside influences and the entities that pull. And so the picture on the book is actually a man's hand and a woman's hand, but there's so much friction, they can't connect it. In the book, it talks about Two people that are products of divorce. We have another scenario that the mother is the influence to break up the relationship. And so when I started getting this feedback, I was like, wow, people are feeling the same way that I felt. I loved my husband. I was madly in love with him. I didn't know if we was going to survive all of the outside influences. And so during my reading time, I wrote about what I knew because it made, gave me an escape. That became the author writing portion that now still today is my escape. That's where other authors are like, this is my past. I write as my downtime and I love putting books out. Right, right. You just really made an important point about particularly blended families. Of It's not just the couple anymore. Now you have the children and there's multiple influences on those individuals that impact the relationship between the couple. So that's just a very important note. That's not my experience, but I've seen that happen with friends and family members. And so I never thought of it that way about how there's so many different levels of influence going on when you bring families together. And what happens 99% of the time, if a blended family breaks up, it is because no one ever told them that what they were feeling was normal because you're trying to take a new family structure and conform it into a 1950s concept of what you was raised that family should be. And so then it becomes that insecurity, that jealousy, that those things that creep up that nobody teaches us that it's okay to feel. There was moments in my relationship that I was like, I really like him, but I don't think I like him this much. I can't do this no more. And like, for me, I didn't understand why we would be in the middle of conflict and he would just easily go to sleep. He'd be over there asleep. I'm on the side of the bed. I'm pacing. I can't sleep. I done ate like a half a gallon of ice cream and some cookies. I done plotted all kind of tremendous homicides or whatever, just all kind of stuff. I'm going through all this emotional stuff. And he just over there sleeping peacefully. And I was like, here's the other takeaway. In my world, my parents are still together. They are special and dysfunctional. They should not still be, but they still together, y'all. Still hanging in there, driving all of us. Lord bless their soul. My aunt, my uncles, everybody was all, that's the world I grew up in. That's not the world he grew up in. Mm -hmm. So when all the drama and all this stuff was happening, he knew it as normal. 
it was conflict for me because I'd never seen it before. Right. It wasn't alarming for him because he's seen his boys go through it. He's seen his father go through it. He's seen his uncles go. And so when you, not only do you have the weight of trying to, I call it the corporate merging. You're merging two entities together. But if you guys are from different regions, I'm from the South, he's from the North. If you're from different regions, from different cultures, from different backgrounds, and when you blend the family, the problem is there's no you and him time or you and her time or you and just, there's no time because you instantly become a family. Your kids, there's visitation, you hit the ground running. So we never had a chance to have those conversations of what was normal for him and what was normal for me. And so we think about adding on top of that, you all are in business together. So how do you balance? And I know a lot of couples who are in business together. How do you balance maybe that conflict that may be happening personally? How do you keep that out of the business? Because you still have a business to run. There's a partnership that's separate and apart from the romantic side. So how do you balance those two? We only discuss business in the office. We have an office at home and we have a corporate office. And so we discuss business things in the office. And this is actually my husband's idea because at first I thought it was real special. We had it set up that we would every Saturday, because he does a lot, I do a lot. Because of my husband's business, he lives by Outlook. That's what he lives and dies by. And so I kept saying, well, we need to have our meetings or whatever. So he put it in Outlook. So every Saturday at 11 o'clock was the Success Corporation meeting. So again, I didn't understand. The meeting came up that Friday night. We had watched movies. We had stayed up late or whatever. I knew we had the meeting, but the next day I slept in late. And when I tell you my husband acted like I was an employee, he was ready to write me up because he got up, he got dressed, he went to the office, he had his notepad, he had his pen, he was ready, and I didn't show. Mm-hmm. And so when I got up, it was 1120 or something like that, and I was like, oh, I'll be there in a minute. He was like, well, I mean, it's late, so we have this time blocked out. So yes, you got, he got me together. I'm okay to say that. And I want to say that because at times, most of the conflict is the power struggle. And so when I realized that, okay, we are running a business, just like a business. And if we was at anybody else's business, would I have been late? If we were reporting to someone else, would I have taken it that lightly? So I had to coach myself. If we knew that there was something coming up that was going to interfere in that meeting, then we discussed it prior to that we had to postpone that meeting. But we get up, we get dressed, we go in the office, even in our house, we go sit in the office at our desk and we discuss the bullet points and we always have an agenda. I love that. I think that's a good way to, even if you're not in business with your significant other, it's really having that time to talk about your life. Mm-hmm. We, did, we did our personal budget that way. Yeah. That's how we run your budget how you run your household. I'm really recognizing the value of household management. Like home ec is something that was like, I feel like poo-poo for many years, but like it's a skill. It is a skill. Managing your household is a skill. People get paid lots of money for it by very wealthy people. We all should be our own financial managers, our household managers. Absolutely. And so for us, because again, not only is it just my husband and I, but our kids work in the business too. They're adults, but they work in the business too. And so it was, I think probably the funniest thing was people don't know Unless you know us, most of the time you don't know that this is, we don't introduce as this is our kid. So again, back to mom factory, even though he is my adult kid, he's our controller and he's talking to somebody and he calls me Michelle. It took a minute there for that mom joke. (laughs) But again, we separate that I'm still mom. I'm always going to be mom. I'm always going to be DG for the kids. But when we're in a business setting, then my finances go through him. So the joke around the office is, if you look like there, there's a credenza that's back there. And one of our managing owners came into the office and she said, did Derek see that? I said, no, and keep them up there because I spent my money to have it, which then drives me crazy too, because you can't bring anything in the office with my own money. But it's funny because he is the truck. And so everything that happens, everything that's going on, 
it goes through him. I don't look at it as mom so I can do whatever I need to do. I'm very respectful of each person's position and what they do. When I make decisions, because most of the time my husband is at one end and I'm running the other entities, they know I handle the day to day. But when it comes down to those weekly meetings, that's when we talk about our forecast. That's when we talk about what where we want to take these directions to make sure that everyone, even if they're not physically in the office with me, they're still involved in the decision making. And I think from a relationship standpoint, there are times that couples in business allow that insecurity that's happening within their relationship to affect the profitability, yes and no, the profitability that happens in their business. And mm-hmm. so we got to be smarter than that. Right. We got to be smarter than that. And so there are times that in our relationship, we may be having some conflict, but we can't bring that here. Can you talk to us, Michelle, about some of the challenges that you face during your time in business, especially as you've, again, been building out all these different entities, working with family and friends, or just being who you are in the world? What are some of the challenges that you face during your time in business? So anyone who knows me knows that Michelle herself is probably the biggest caretaker in the world. I want to save everybody. And so I think from the business aspect, there wasn't any surprises. It was me personally understanding that there is a phase for everything. And so just because there's something that I want to do or just because somebody needs help or just because, listen, I'm that person, I'm going to give you a shirt off my back. But in a business sense, I can't always do that. And so I remember the first person that I had to, which was someone that I truly, truly love, but we had to part ways from her working for the business any longer. And that was hard is not the way to describe it. That was gut-wrenching for me because me personally, I think about the future and the circumstances and blah, blah, blah. But from a business aspect, I can't take myself down those emotional rabbit holes. And so I had to learn how that doesn't mean that I have to be cold. That doesn't mean that I have to change. I think, especially for women, there is this mindset that we have to walk like a man, act like a man, talk like a man in order for us to be taken seriously. For me, I do talk with my hands. I do get all caught up and sometimes I'm animated when I'm having conversations or whatever, whereas my husband may not. And so I had the jacket on. And so my 17-year-old is a coder. He is going to contract with me, the company, so he can help personalize the platform. So again, I work with family. I caution people, if you're going to bring your family in or bring your friends in, make sure that there is a contractual obligation or layout or at least a conversation of how this works so that everyone can be clear about that expectation. Because again, what happened within the work situation is I think that my friend became more invested about the friendship than the actual work. Mm. It became more of, I'm the friend, so I'm I'm just going to, I'm mad at you or whatever that circumstance. And even my daughter-in-law made the comment because she helped me open this up, but she's now going to school. But she said she had to get used to work Michelle and not mother-in-law Michelle. Right. And so I think that every business has their own adjustment period. But when you are hiring family and friends, you have to have those hard conversations of what that expectation looks like when you're at work. Because that was eye-opening for me. She's right. She never worked with me before. So she only knew me as mother-in-law and grandmother and the comedian or whatever. And then we got into work and it was different expectations. And so that was ownership on me. I never had that conversation. That was my learning curve, my learning curve on how to not just sit in your own business and think that things are just going to organically work itself out. You have to gain the reins of the business and you have to guide it into what you need it to be. And sometimes that takes those hard conversations. Right. Love that. Now, as you think about, again, your time in business, what are some of the accomplishments that you're most proud of? We had the opportunity just us getting into this business 
that my son, who I was talking about with the controller, was able to come out of his full-time job so that he could spend more time with his girls and his wife and still be able to work. And so I think for all of us, that was kind of a fear because we've all been conditioned to work for somebody else. That was first accomplishment that was really exciting for me. And then to watch him begin to just own the position where they don't come to me, they go to him and they talk about things. That was my first proud moment because we were able to do for him something at the age that we were still talking about at his age. We never imagined that we could be out on our own still in our 20s and doing Mm -hmm. that. So he's got that experience. My second proudest moment was when my husband and I were talking about growing the corporation in the direction that I could see it going in. In the first conversation, he was like, nope, mm-mm, that's not going to happen. That's not going to work. I knew that I had grown as a business person when that didn't bother me, that my husband didn't, that he shot me down. And so I just kept working behind the scenes to do what I needed to do so that the next time that we sat down, I not only had a better presentation of it, but the numbers and the statistics. And he and I ended that conversation with saying, understanding the difficulty of being a business owner is not the hard part. The hard part is changing your mindset from being an employee to an owner. There's a lot of us who own businesses, but we still operate in an employee mindset. And so that conversation for us was our aha moment of how to fully shed that employee mindset, step into that ownership role wholeheartedly, trust it. I love that. You bring up a really great point around that whole mindset shift. It's really hard to overcome that conditional, right? A lot of us, I will say have been from childhood, unless you had parents who were entrepreneurs or were surrounded by other entrepreneurs, you were taught from early childhood, you go to school, you get a degree, you you get a job. And you have a family and you work until retirement. Yes, that's our conditioning. And even when a lot of times, even when entrepreneurs start out, I caution them about trying to put a lot of emotional commitment into the family being able to support them in it because they're not going to be able to. Even the son that works for us now, when we first started with the concept, he was like, yep, no. mm -mm." But sometimes, again, what I learned about my family, I had a role with my family. I was always the mom, the caretaker or whatever. And my family rarely saw me in business settings. Mm -hmm. So they looked at what I was saying as she's just being the dreamer and this is just going to be a phase and then she'll be okay. And it wasn't until they started seeing that, no, this is real. This is serious about the business. But I had to, I already knew going in there because the book and the hair company prepared me for the corporate office because Mm -hmm. my purchasers wasn't my family. My audience wasn't my family. They were strangers. I didn't go into other businesses with the expectation that my first consumers or customers were going to be my family. I went into it knowing that they weren't going to be. And so I think that a lot of entrepreneurs talk to family and friends and they're all excited about starting their own business, et cetera, et cetera. And your expectation is you want even your spouse or your children or your mom and dad, you want them to come and be excited for you. And when it doesn't happen, the impact of the letdown adds that self-doubt into your mind. Because we, especially those of us of color, What we struggle with, which is the reason that the book, I wrote the book, Black women are the least lendable in the world. It's not just the U.S. Across the world, Black women make the least salary. We're the least lendable because we don't pass the IRS SNP test. Our businesses don't make it three years and above for us to scale it. And so they consider what we do as a hobby. And so lenders don't take us seriously. Venture capitalists don't look at us as a great investment. And so I wanted to write this book, The Eight Qualities of the Exceptional Black Woman in Business and Entrepreneurship, as a reference book. So in it, it has the business acumen that other cultures are passed down by the uncle that runs Xerox 
or the family members that came over as immigrants and bought up a block of businesses. And that's how you grew up. You grew up in the store. You grew up in the office building. Well, for those of us that wasn't exposed to that, my mom was a homemaker. My father worked for the railroad for 40 something years. I knew how to work. But in order for me to step into the shoes of being my own business person, I had to study that. I had to come out of my community and study other people and how they ran their business. So I want to bring that back to our community. I want young ladies to see women that look like them, that speak like them, that listen to the same music, that dresses like them, and be able to say, if she can do it, then I know I can. Because the translation of me learning how Xerox runs their corporation into how I run my corporation was a huge transition. Even for my husband and I, when we go to a meeting, it's very apparent the differences in how they treat us. They have a different level of conversation with my husband than they attempt to have with me. Once on my space and establish that I can still talk the numbers, I can still talk about the distribution, I can still talk about all of this stuff, then they learn me. And so for most entrepreneurs, it is getting them the assets and the information that they need so that they can stand tall in front of that other business or that lender or that bank. But right now we can't hold our own because we're all insecure. Right. A couple of points you bring up. One is the rules of business still apply, no matter whether you're a small business, large corporation, it's about the scale. And I think a lot of business owners, especially if you leave corporate, you want to go start a business and you want to start a business that's totally opposite of what you may have left. And you think, well, I don't need the same types of things. You don't need the same level of things, but you definitely have to have all the infrastructure and the components have to be in place, especially if you want to think bigger, grow bigger. And that's not always big in terms of more, but it is big in terms of your capacity, your capability, and your ability to scale, whether it's you want to just be a solopreneur or you want to have employees. So often people think those rules of business don't apply and they always do. And that's why when you said my entrepreneurial journey and I said that I don't really consider it an entrepreneurial journey, I consider it a business journey because the things that I'm doing right now, the difference is the payroll comes out of a bank account tied to my name instead mm-hmm. of a bank account tied to someone else's name. But I take the same principles of the business that I had to work up under someone or do things because I think that what you said was key. Sometimes as employees, if we're not privy to those decision makers, if we sit in one level and the decisions roll down from somewhere else and we don't understand why they said no, we don't understand why they, you can't get that raise or you don't understand why the operation, then you leave as a disgruntled person. And I want to start my business and I'm going to be completely opposite. It's like parenthood. It's like parenthood. We grow up with our parents and it's like, nope. I'm not going to do anything like that. I'm going to be the fun parent. My kids going to love me and we're just going to have fun and life is going to be great. And then you have your kids and your house looks like a turnstile and nobody's listening to you. And the kids are running across the couch and there's chocolate pudding flying everywhere and you're out of control. And then you say that one day that you yell out something and all you hear is your mother. And it's like a culture shock. It's like, <gasps> and then you realize that the rules have to be in place because no matter how much you want your children to be free and to love you, that in five years, they're going to enter into a systematic process, which is called school. Listen, if they can't learn, they can't grow, then you're setting them up to fail for themselves. So if you want to start a business, the key word is business, whether it's a self-business, small business, large business or whatever, the business rules were built by seven white men about 400 years ago. And at that time, women weren't allowed to be in business and we was considered as property. So they built the structure of how business works. They built the nine to five. They created that business operates in nine to five. They created the structure and the platform and it's been in place for years and years. So if you want to make a change in how that platform operates, you can't go in and kick the door down. 
You have to go in and have an impact and then begin to show people how it can operate different. The pandemic taught us something. Most mothers went to work with the same wish for years that I wish I could work remote from home. And your company told you it was impossible. You have to come into an office. And then the pandemic shut it down. And somehow or another, the powers that be came up with all kinds of systems where everybody could work from home. Look at there. Won't he do it? There you go. Right there. So shame on us if now we go back to the same antiquated ways without at least having a discussion. You don't have to. Forbes talks about how many entrepreneurs that are, especially those of color, that are becoming entrepreneurs out of frustration and what's happening post-pandemic where some of the kids aren't still in school or they're not getting the jobs that they need or the pay that they need. So they want to go be an entrepreneur. Here's a newsflash. Being an entrepreneur is harder than working for anybody. And it costs you a whole lot more money. So instead of running from that job, build up your business strength by going to your job and discussing different options of how you can add value to the company without physically being there. Practice those negotiations while you are in that safe environment. Because in your business, it's nothing but negotiation. Right. I will co-sign on that. (laughs) I think since starting my business, I feel like I've grown in audacity. (laughs) So this way, all you can say is no. And if you say no, you're probably going to tell me, well, here's another way to do it. And so I have been amazed what is offered when you ask. And it is something it just would not have been in my set of skills beforehand. And you have to negotiate because it is literally like it's do or die. This is the make or break. When it's your business, you have to be bold. You have to be audacious. You have to be courageous because if you don't ask, you don't get If you don't share with your challenges and people, and I've been amazed when I share a challenge, when I share a frustration where people just rise up to help. Because if you're dealing with partners, if you're dealing with customers, there's always a choice. They always can make choices and changes because they also run in their own businesses. So whatever you feel in the frustration around, have a discussion. And And if they've got a partner, they want to work through it. Get out of that other, the second set of old mindset that we were taught. Don't tell nobody anything because they're going to take it and run with it. They're going to take your idea. Listen, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, if you don't talk, if you don't network, you won't get anywhere. So you have to have the confidence, but you also have to be smart enough. If you have an idea or if you have something, secure it, secure it. If you're afraid that somebody's going to take that, trademark it, go and protect it, go patent it, and then have the conversation. If you wrote a book, make sure that you always have your book registered with the Library of Congress so that nobody can take your work. So there are ways that we don't, again, we're not openly discussing and revealing to people of how to get out of your shell, but you gotta talk in business. You have to. Right now, there's a Zoom call. That's why I keep looking this way. So they're talking about our business platform and I'm gonna have to jump off in the next couple of minutes with you so I can get with them so we can talk, but these are my coders. And so we can talk about how we're gonna get this to, because I'm the visionary. And so I don't know coding, but I understand enough so that I can articulate what I'm looking for so they can get it done. If I felt like I was a all catch all be all, we'll never launch anything. Right, right. Here's my last piece of advice that I want to give to any person that wants to start a business. Prior to you registering that name, prior to you getting an EIM, prior to you doing anything, go do a SWOT analysis on yourself. SWOT, S-W-O-T. If you've never heard of a SWOT analysis, this is something that you really need. And you need to continue. I do a SWOT analysis on myself once a quarter because as things change, you grow, you shift, you learn more. And the SWOT stands for strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. So when you're doing a SWOT analysis on yourself, you want to find out what are your strengths. But just as easy as you're able to write them strengths down, you got to know what your weaknesses are. And weaknesses doesn't mean from a physical standpoint or from a mental standpoint, weakness in business means that if I put something out there 
Can someone else come and trump that and take my audience away, take my money away because I didn't think it all the way through? That's a weakness. Do I have the business sense to be able to run this particular business? That's right. a weakness. Opportunities mean, okay, so I want to start an IT business. Where are my opportunities? My opportunity means that I'm going to have to go back to school and get some more certifications so I can be up uh, and put a pin in this. Stop assuming that y'all can hire people to do the things that you don't want to do. Because I say this all the time. How can you evaluate what someone is doing for you if you don't know enough information about the position to be able to evaluate? And threats means that what's coming down, are you prepared for the growth? Are you prepared for the future? Is your technology, is it antiquated? Is your knowledge antiquated? Threat means so you hang out your sign to go and start your business and someone comes in with the new technology and the new ability to endpoint service your own customers faster than you. But do that SWOT analysis. There's so many things that you can do to go out there, not a personality test, but you really want to be able to write these down. And the reason that I say that you do this quarterly is you do a separate SWOT analysis on the following quarter to see if you have improved on any of those weaknesses and those opportunities and are those threats still there. Right. I love that. Great advice, Michelle. So if folks want to connect with you, learn more about what you do, how can they find you? You can always connect with me there on my website. It is Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E-S Thomas.com. Or you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Your Relationship Surgeon. So I want everybody, and if you want to email me, email me at J-N-E-E-L-E-Y at MichelleSThomas.com. That is my assistant. She will get all the information if you want to connect, if you want to collaborate. If you got projects coming down the line and you need some coaching or you need some consulting on it, reach out to us. We got all, listen, we'll take care of whatever you need. Great. We'll add that into the show notes, Michelle. So I always ask my guests two questions. So the first question is, what are one or two songs that are on your power playlist and why? My first song is, I believe, by Fantasia. When she won the American Idol. And the reason that that is my power play was I was sitting and holding my sixth child. He was maybe about a month old, a newborn. I felt like that all of the dreams and stuff that this little girl had, that they would never come true. I would sing that song with tears running down my face and belt it out that I believe. I believe that I'm going to find that pot of gold on the other side of the rainbow. And so it has a different meaning for me now. It means that I can remember where I came from because I did believe I was able to achieve. So my latest new favorite obsessed song is We Win by Kirk Franklin. And is that the baby, big baby, which baby? One of them babies. It's one of them babies. Don't get me wrong. And listen, baby, don't email or write or sue me because I don't get your name right, y'all. I'm sorry. I'm seeing sis. But I love it. I love We Win because just the music and the fact that he is a young man that got on the track from what they consider as the secular world and introduced a whole new audience to how talented he is and talked about him. I love it. I love it. And last question, what is one book that you would recommend that has helped you thrive in business? All of my kids are required to read the Seven Habits book. And so prior to today, I would have told you to read the Seven Habits book. Today, I am going to selfishly encourage everybody to pick up your copy of The Eight Qualities of the Exceptional Black Woman in Business and Entrepreneurship. It is not written just for Black women. It is written by Black women, but it's not written for Black women. It is written for corporations. It is written for HR professionals. It is written for anyone who wants to understand how we are going to enter into the new level of success in business. And that is not to discount women of color. And so read this book so that you can not only understand where we're coming from, but understand the value and the business acumen that we really do know and can contribute to giving your business the leverage, the success, and the power that it deserves. I love that. So thank you so much, Michelle. I know I'll be picking up my copy of the book. 
I'm excited to read all about it. And I'm excited to see what happens next for you. I know one last thing. I know you have a conference coming up soon. So can you tell us a bit about the Exceptional Woman Tour? Absolutely. It was a two-part project. So the book, The Eight Qualities, was the first part of it that I wanted to write something based on my experience and my knowledge. And we have 29 other amazing Black businesswomen who added to the book. But the second part of it, because I am a woman, doesn't matter what our color is, women in general need to work together to learn how to change the foundation for the next five generations of young ladies. I built the Exceptional Woman Tour. And the Exceptional Woman Tour is a global summit that focuses in on those underrepresented industries that most women don't see themselves in. And it also provides information to women and young ladies between the ages of 17 and 70 with information that they may not know that they need to. And so our goal is to get us to not only recognize what's happening with women in our state, but women across the globe. Because as we begin to grow and improve, so does the rest of the world. There is not a Fortune 500 company out there that has reached the level that they have without the women as a consumer. And so we have to understand that. We have to be smarter about this. We need to understand politics and why we do what we do so that we can make some changes for our daughters and our granddaughters where they don't have to apologize for having a baby, where they don't have to request permission to be able to go to your baby's PTA meeting or apologize for not having a baby. I don't want to have a child and I want to be a business person. So we need to get that dialogue out there because 90% of us have only heard what we cannot do. And so this summit is to teach you what you can do. I love it. And what is the website? Where can people learn more about the summit? So you can go to exceptionalwoman, W-O-M-A-N, tour.com to get not only information about it, but the registration is free. The tickets are free. We have speakers from all across the globe. It is three days on March 25th through 27th. Coming up around the corner, you're going to meet a lot of amazing speakers, a lot of business people, get a lot of takeaways. And then we're going to introduce you to our business platform that is going to help continue to grow and send the message of growing your business personal and professionally and give you those tools and tips that you need. Great, Michelle. Again, thank you so much for your time today. And I'm looking forward now, not only to my copy of the book, but also to the Exceptional Woman Tour coming up in late March. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me just to be me. I appreciate that. I love this. Thank you. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Women Thriving in Business podcast. If you like this episode, share it with a friend. You can also share your feedback, your insights, your thoughts with us on social media via Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn. We'd love to hear from you. Be sure to like, review, and subscribe either on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. Until next week, keep thriving. Thank you.